and welcome to another Scots Way podcast. And we have a returning guest, someone I haven't seen for a while, Ian Maloney. Hello, Ian. Hello. Uh, last time I think you spoke to us, when would that be? It was about four years ago. Yeah. In 2016, when uh, The Waves Burn Bright came out. That's right. Yeah. So um, you are black. And it's not just a case of, you know, popping over from the West End for you. <laughs> um, you've got a new book out called The Only Gaijin in the Village, mm-hmm. A Year Living in Rural Japan. Not fiction. Not fiction. This is your no. life, as they say. It is. <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about the book. Um, it is, I mean, as the subtitle very much says, it's about um, moving out to rural Japan. So I moved to Japan in 2005 and lived in, kind of in and around the city. Um, I got married to a Japanese woman in 2009 and about 2012 we started thinking we wanted to find a place, buy a house, settle down and and, um, started looking around. I grew up in the countryside Mm -hmm. outside Aberdeen and she grew up in the countryside um, in Gifu in Japan. So we both wanted to move away so we started looking around and in uh, 2016 we we found a place we bought it moved in and almost immediately all kinds of weird and funny and stressful stuff started (laughs) happening um so that was kind of the start of the experience in terms of the book um a few years later a guy i know who who got who i worked with a magazine got a job for a website called gaijin pop sent me an email saying um you got any ideas anything you want to write and i said i've got some i've got some stories how about how about a column a monthly column about living in the countryside we can call it the only gaijin in the village and it sort of started from there did about 12 of those they seemed to be going down quite well getting a lot of hits and uh so we decided to turn it into a book so the first question is um, the definition of gaijin gaijin this is kind of a fraught subject (laughs) gaikokujin in Japanese means foreigner literally person from other country Um, gaijin is a shortening that some people really don't like because it can be taken to mean it literally would mean outsider Right. But it can be othering. It can mean it can mean foreigner, but it can also mean like, like the way the Greeks used to use barbarian or right. something like that. It's like not one of us. Yeah. Um, which, not going into because it's, it's one of these huge linguistic and sociological arguments. I don't fully buy into the the idea that it's um, as racist a term or as xenophobic a term as some people do. But my main reason for using it is that the joke doesn't work if it's the only guy Kukujin in the village. It's just a little bit too long. Yeah. yeah, yeah little yeah. Britain reference was <laughs> too good to pass up. So. Absolutely. But the, the, throughout the book, um, there's exactly that. There's conf- the, the confusion about language, confusion about um, uh, the way things are done, uh, social... Um, all sorts of social uh, themes and uh, ideas that you have to kind of to deal with. Um, I was thinking as well, you you know, it begins in that you move to rural Japan. I was thinking about what I thought about Japan, and to me, it is almost there's two different Japans at the front of your mind. You've got this very almost futuristic, you mm-hmm. know, Blade Runner type of big city that you know, and then you have something that's not just rural but almost from another age. Yeah. And is that Kind of true. 
No, both right. of those stereotypes, both of those yeah. extremes are kind of untrue right. in a sense. That that sort of futuristic Blade Runner thing. Yeah. Know, there's a couple of streets in Tokyo. And the other ones that, that are a bit like that. Yeah, there's <laughs> the Shibuya Crossing and, and things like that. Um, and the, you know, the sort of Last Samurai, mm. Temples in the Hills, Mist in the Mountains. Those things do exist, but either they've become incredibly touristy, particularly in Kyoto, places like that, or they're just kind of sort of like the equivalent of the local parish church here or something like that. So locals just like, well, yeah, it's just, you know, our local temple, something like that. As with anywhere, the you know, the reality is somewhere in between. Yeah. The, the cities are cities. They're not that technologically advanced. It winds yeah. up a lot of us that they're, they're really not. The, the story I always tell to sort of get an idea of, of where the technology is missing, I guess, is there was a scandal a few years ago about um, people who were about 150, 175 years old still claiming pensions. Right. And what was happening was they were dying. Their families weren't telling the authorities and continuing to claim the pension. But the only reason they got away with it for like another hundred years or whatever is that all the records are these old paper files from like the Victorian era, basically. Uh, They've never been updated, never been digitised, and nobody ever is going to sit and go through them. So because that technology isn't actually there, people can get away with stuff like that. So it's not it's not the Blade Runner. No. <laughs> well, it's like, it's that was, um, in the book you say, when, when you were younger, you didn't have any, you didn't kind of fetishise Japan or think mm. that, you know, this was a place that you wanted to go. And actually, I kind of did. I was off the age where well, there was Japan the band for a start and then there was like big Japan was about to, and then you had the Blade Runner came through in the early 80s and there were, and I know it's, you know there was a lot of um, interest about that country in particular I, um, the book opens that kind of gives you an idea for both of them because you're out for a walk and then the jail alert happens Tell us about the jail. Yeah. I was fascinated about that. Yeah, not out for a walk. I'm actually dr- driving at the time. Um, so the jailer is a thing that's usually used for earthquakes. Yeah. So it's a it's an early, it's a early warning system. A couple of seconds early. It's a warning system on cell phones and things like that. So if there's an earthquake in your area, like get safe, get out. This here's some information. Um, it is insanely loud. It's really scarily loud. I know more people have injured themselves because of the alarm than yeah. because of earthquakes. But it's also used for, for other natural disasters. But in, the, in this instance, it was used when uh, North Korea were testing yeah. one of their missiles. And I happened to be in the area right underneath it um, and just got this really high-pitched loud warning while I'm driving along the road luckily about 4 a.m. 5 a.m. so there's nobody else around um, warning me of missile missile launch missile launch and um, I can safely say it scared the crap out of me <laughs> because that was another thing I hadn't thought about we're lucky in this country that that fear of nuclear attack again something from mm. my childhood in the 80s and all of that stuff but I guess it's yeah it, it certainly was when I started writing this book there's a couple of chapters in it that really dwell on on that threat and on on North Korea because yeah at the time of writing it it was really heightened tensions they were testing these missiles there Japan's got a really long 
bad history with North Korea, with North Korea abducting Japanese citizens and stuff like that. So there's there's no love lost. Mm. Although now now it's kind of died down a bit, sort of. Um, I don't know if it's anything to do with Trump's diplomacy or anything <laughs> like that. But um, yeah, Kim Jong-un seems to be, be keeping quiet recently. So, But the, 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 um, later on in the book you talk about other public announcements and this is mm. one of the things that is well, very different from here, for mm. instance, like that. So tell us a little bit about those. Yeah, they have these, I mean, it's not everywhere, but certainly where I am, they have these public address systems and... They kind of have a few functions. So you get music played at certain times, like at 5 p.m. they'll yeah. play music, which is sort of telling kids it's time to go home for dinner, um, which I, coming from here, find intensely creepy. Just the idea of <laughs> it's five o'clock, the government mandates that you have your dinner now. Yeah. You should go home. Now, nobody actually pays that much attention okay. to it. It's more just that, oh, it's five o'clock, I don't need to look at my watch. That kind of thing. But there's that, for me anyway, and it, this might just be my outsiders misinterpretation of it but but this is how it feels to me is there's a sort of not fascism but there's a sort of totalitarian controlling element underneath it i feel that that is kind of bothersome in a way to me you know japan that's not necessarily harking back to the second world war and you know japan's always been quite a, a strong militaristic um, structured hierarchical society um, but it can also um, bring up some some humour some funny things yeah. when um, I mean where, where we use it for which isn't funny is that where I am the way they use it is often there's a lot of old people a lot of elderly people and some of them have dementia and they wander off particularly in the summer when it's warm and in the evenings and in the early mornings and they use it you know to just say you know, Mrs. Such and Such has gone missing. She's wearing these clothes. If you see her, let us know. Um, it's used for that, but yeah, it reminded me of the they probably still have it in lot um, a shops where it said if someone is missing a child, but it's a, it's an interesting that whole section where you're saying about something that doesn't quite fit with me and you say it's, mm. it's you kind of you're taking things with that whole thing it kind of runs through the the whole yeah. book um there's a lovely chapter on shyness and mm. i'm with you on this so we'll talk mm. a bit about it in a bit but you know shyness in japan seems to be seen as a as a, as a virtue it's just like like that child is cute or that child yeah. is bright or that child is shy it's seen as a yeah definitely i i had it with two, my two japanese nieces that um when they were like I don't know, three, four years old, that kind of age, um, I would come in, and they'd, they'd do it with a lot of men, but it seemed to happen more with me, that I'd come in and they'd, ah, scary, kawaii, and run away and hide behind their mum and cry. And instead of going, kind of, oh, don't be daft, come out, you know, it's just Uncle Ian, they would be, oh, that's so cute, look at her, she's shy. And, and it's not nice for the house to it's you. Not, you know, it feels, <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, I've, I've got my, my sister here, she, she's had a kid, so I've got a niece here, and you, you don't like it happening one way or the other, yeah. but there's a sort of added element, or certainly I felt there was an added element of that, you know, I'm already the outsider in that family, and... My wife's family, the, w the way they use Japanese is very, very rural. It's very casual. They're basically chuchters. Right. <laughs> so it's not always easy for me to understand yes. what they're saying. 
so there's already this kind of distancing element and then something like that I know it's just kids and you know oh, it's just kids so we'll dismiss it but it still also does make you feel a bit bad like oh god this again oh, maybe maybe I won't go around to but you, you use it and, and you do uh, a lot of times kind of reflect what's happening back on yourself yeah and you're saying that, you know, um, as someone who's shy themselves, it's, and, and the same at times, and people don't believe you, you know, they think, how can you be, yeah. you know, <laughs> hail fellow, well met, kind of thing. But, you know, you have to sort of try and fight it, and it makes you think about how your own relationship with many things in the book, you know, uh, language is another one, as you say. Yeah. You might speak, um, I guess it's like someone coming here speaking English, um, being taught well, to teach academic uh, English for academic purposes, for yeah. instance, and then being dumped in uh, the middle of Glasgow and listening to two locals having a chat about something. Yeah, kind of to go back to what you're saying, yeah, with that about it sort of being a thread mm -hmm. through it, the, it, it. There definitely is a big part of that. There's there are so many books written about Japan by foreigners that have moved there. Right. The majority of them are people who've just just got off the boat you know, okay. it's, like, it's my first year oh my god it's crazy there's karaoke and the sushi and right, I don't understand right, right. everything and then 12 months later well I'm going back home and I've got a job and, and that's it so one reason it took so long to actually write a book about being in Japan you know I've been there 15 years was partly to avoid that but there's also a thing and it happens more in print media and online than in books but there's an awful lot of kind of Japan bashing in a way of, oh, right. of going this is different from where I come from therefore it's wrong yeah you know oh really that's interesting yeah. so you get kind of you know this is how we do things in America for example it's not always Americans but it sometimes is. yeah this is how we do things in America and you're doing it differently and I don't like it so you need to change the way you're doing it as a whole country as a whole country and that really winds me up yeah. and it always has I used to commute in the morning the first few years I was in Japan with a guy and this is the reason I leapt on America as an example because this guy was American where for 20 minutes every morning he would tell me everything that pissed him off about Japan the day before <laughs> and every day I'd get to work and go well why don't you leave like yeah. if you really hate it that much you know why don't you leave nowhere's perfect yes there are problems there are problems in Scotland as well but there are also positives and you know the only way you can make a home somewhere is finding a somewhere you get more positives than negatives yeah. and finding that balance so one thing I wanted to do with this book and that thread you're talking about is reflecting on all of those things that other people have maybe said you know what really pisses me off about Japan and look at it from another angle and go you know what maybe that's me yeah yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. maybe it is them but maybe it's uh -huh. me and let's let's kind of analyze it a bit and, and the truth probably in the middle there, yeah. But yeah yeah and so it's it's very interesting because you it's not just as you say that you're going to Japan for work purposes and that's it you decided that you and your wife that you were going to find a rural place um, maybe it's not as rural as you initially thought you might no it's there's civilization nearby but it's you know, there's, there's no shops or anything yeah. so it's a good um, it's about a 10 minute drive to the nearest convenience store further to a supermarket that kind of thing and you became the only gaijin village straight away so yeah. what was that and what was the initial reaction the initial from my neighbours yes, yes, was yes. 
I mean, you'd have to ask them, but the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. from a lot of it was was just sort of pleasantly sur- surprised. I guess a lot of them they they all kind of immediately came round and and as soon as they learned I could speak Japanese, there was like, oh, we can we can go and ask him twenty questions now. We'll go and talk to him. And there was there was definitely a bit of trepidation. Um, one neighbour told me that so in that area, like not in my village, but in the in one of the nearby cities, there's a lot of um, South American workers right. who come over to work for Sony and Toyota and those kind of companies. And so they've kind of made communities. And they don't always get on so well with the neighbours. Just from things like when it's summer, they'll have a barbecue and they'll turn the radio up and they'll have a bit of music, which for us isn't a problem, isn't bothersome. You know, if your neighbour's having a barbecue, of course there's going to be a bit of music and shout and stuff like that. But hopefully they'll offer you a beer and a sausage. And, and some of neighbours would still, yeah. you know, not be pleased. So it doesn't they wouldn't be yeah. pleased, but yeah. yeah. Um, so some of my neighbours were like oh is he like that are we suddenly going to have you know 30 people turning up on a Sunday to have a barbecue yeah, or, t-shirt on oh, yeah <laughs> that, that kind of thing um, but I very quickly I, sort of because I've been there a while I was aware that this is probably what they were thinking so you know I told them things like yeah I, I grew up in the countryside as well we came here for peace and quiet I want to I want to work the land and grow some vegetables and, and that kind of thing and you know I, I speak Japanese I've been here for a while so I understand the customs a bit more and that sort of relaxed them a bit and then as the, the months and now the years have gone by they've been like oh yeah he's, he's not going to cause any trouble so because oh, there's a phrase and I'm afraid I've forgotten it but it's kind of means mucking in or at least willing, showing willing that yeah. kind of thing, isn't there? And that's what yeah. you said at the beginning. Yeah, there's, there's certainly a lot of that. There's a lot of, um, I mean, in, in my village, there's not a huge amount compared to other villages, but there are a lot of sort of duties that, that maybe in Scotland we used to have and they've sort of, sort of been lost, but you're expected to, to volunteer and help out, um, keep the area tidy, yes. and, um, look after things if it needs done. And there's a... There's a sports day for the kids, so you volunteer for that, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of interesting and fun, sort of being involved in that to an extent. I'm I'm just very happy. Some other towns have got part time fire brigades, and every man has to volunteer for those. And we that was one of the questions when we looked at the house: is do we have to do the fire brigade? No. Okay, great. <laughs> We're in. So. Um, because at one point um, you become an honorary elderly woman. I do, yes. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't quite know what to make of me because I'm, I'm the one, you know, Japan generally is still quite traditional in terms of gender roles, but where I am, it's mostly retired couples and they're set in those old mm. ways. But I'm out hanging up the washing and, and that kind of thing and they, they, they think that's just hilarious but yeah one of the jobs is um, cleaning the well all these duty jobs are split into men's jobs and women's jobs right. the men will go and cut the grass by the river when it gets too high and the men will go and collect the rubbish and the women will do things like cleaning the, the meeting hall is it? Mm-hmm. meeting hall and the I mean again hall. not that dissimilar from what used to happen yeah. in some places yeah happen. exactly yeah um, but because 
because my so my wife's a nurse she does night shifts and things like that and also because um sometimes there are roles that she absolutely has to take on right. because of the language okay um, so if there's stuff that involves money and things like that it's just a lot easier for her to do it so the trade-off was well if i'm doing these jobs you're going to go and do all of these and one of them is cleaning the meeting hall um which is as i say it's in our team it's two elderly women and me yeah and they just think the sight of me with a hoover is hilarious to them so. <laughs> but there's a, it's a lovely scene because there um i mean there's a lot of humor in the book anyway coming from situations but also deliberate humor yeah. as well you know and I, I think they discuss, well, maybe we should have a, a we should have had a, a non Japanese person said, oh, what would we cook for him? Which yeah. is lovely uh, line like that. But um, what was interesting is that there was, there seems to be a culture of mild teasing that is quite a, an acceptable. The, the humour in Japan is very, not very British, it's very similar to the British humour right. there's, there's a lot of sarcasm there's a lot of dry humour I mean my one of the reasons I sort of fell in love with my wife originally is that she's just dry and sarcastic and <laughs> it, I'd never really come across that I mean, in, in another culture with another language yeah, yeah, humour is yeah. often the hardest thing to get but, yeah. but in Japan once once I tuned into that that's what they're doing I was like, I, I get this. This is just like back home. This is just, you know, ribbing your mates and having a bit of fun and laughing at each other's misfortunes. And, and yeah, my wife's family in particular. Yeah, there's, some, there's that. some great scenes with the families where when you first meet them. Yeah. Because <laughs> we should say as well, although it's about your time uh, in Japan, there are, you put it in context about how the relationship started, about, yeah. you know, um, I difficulties with visas and all the kind of all of those kind of practicalities again people who you know would never think about it unless they yeah it. It, it's kind of interesting the way it ended up but certainly for me um because it started off as i say as these like 800 word columns and it, I, I say columns rather than blogs because they were deliberately based on those kind of old like sunday newspaper yeah. columns used to get back in the day which i loved and we've kind of lost with the with the internet but they were just like funny scene funny scene funny scene 12 of those you can't do that for 80,000 words it becomes no, quite boring quite quickly or you end up with like a toilet book you can just read one chapter yeah. and then forget about it. Scottish Japanese jokes exactly like so one of, one of the questions I had and one of the reasons I was initially hesitant to do the book was how do I turn just comedy episodes into something you'd actually want to hopefully read for you know 250 300 pages mm. so yeah I, I pull in a lot of stuff from the past a lot of anecdotes it's sort of we say it's a year but it's not really chronological no. it kind of is by the seasons but it's much more thematic things coming in that way plus the odd bits where I get all uh, lefty and pissed off about Tory immigration policies and, <laughs> and that kind of thing yeah, which, yeah uh, absolutely which has some of the reviews seems to have gone down quite well but I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop <laughs> on that one <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for somebody on Twitter to come on so, so when did uh, Polygon get interested about it becoming a book? Um, it started off as uh, my agent really wanted me to do it and I, I, I had a bunch of ideas for things I could do and um as we said, it's four years since I've been on. Um, I yeah. did a book a year until the waves burn bright. Then Freight Books 
yes. disappeared, did their thing. Um, and I wrote another novel straight after that, like keeping my one a year thing. And that has been basically deemed unpublishable by a lot of people. Right. I've read it, not particularly bad, but just very, very weird. And I think you might work. have either mentioned it on the podcast or we talked about it afterwards. Yeah. And it sounded ambitious. It's ambitious. Ambitious, probably, yeah. It's it's very weird. I really like it. I'm glad I wrote it. But, um, yeah, it might be one of those posthumous... Oh, we found this. The great stick it out, yeah, kind, kind of thing. But um, so I did that, and then that was, you know, we're not going to do that. And I had a few ideas. I always have like three or four, not half finished, but started right, projects yes, on go at any one time. So, I, um, so I was saying to my agent, I could do this, or I could do this, or I could do this, and she's going, do the Japanese book, do that one. I'm like, oh, but so many bad Japanese mm. books I don't really want to she's like no do it there's a market for it people will want it I've read the columns they're funny people like those just do it um, and then we uh, started looking at sales figures and stuff like that get away from the artistic side to the cold hard business of it and you know lit fiction isn't mm. selling all that well and I, I'm really not ready to dip my feet into Tartan Noir yet Scottish detective character in uh, Japan yeah well that um, <laughs> what's it called Giri Haji that, that series has kind of screwed that now we can't, can't do that um, so it started from that so my agent was like right do it get it working and one of the great things which I didn't know until I started doing this one of the great things about doing non-fiction rather than fiction is you don't need to finish the book before you can before you get a publisher uh, you know, fiction you need to finish the manuscript yeah yeah non-fiction you can have a pitch some sample this is where it's going yeah and they'll they'll buy it for that so that was very tempting for me if you don't have to write another yeah. 80 you know having just done it another 80,000 that's just gonna end up in the drawer as well and um, yeah we showed it around a few places and um, there's some general interest but Polygon were very much yep we want this this is this is the kind of thing. So, signed with them, and it's been fantastic. I have to say, it's a, well, um, it's such a well, it's such a readable book um, because, in some ways, it's a completely different world, and that's part of the joy of it. Is that kind of um, someone trying to get to terms with a different world? But I think most people will have some idea of what that's mm. like whether it's just being on holiday or being in a different city or yeah. meeting a different family with a different culture there is that kind of yeah. thing um a, talking about possible detective things <laughs> it's interesting crime in japan because yeah. um there is a murder am i right when there's yeah off off stage um, but uh, your, your again, your reaction to it is the really interesting thing. See, you know, if that news had come out in Glasgow, you kind of, you know, it's almost um, after dog bites man, you know, yeah. you know, after the, you know, who cares? But it's suddenly this is big news because you're not expecting this to happen in your locale. Yeah, I mean, Japan, it, it's kind of a cliche when when people in Japan say it, but Japan is a safe country, mm. certainly by comparison with, with somewhere like Britain um, Japan is safe crime rates are low, petty crime rates are, are very low, there's obviously things like they have Yakuza and that kind of thing so there is crime 
but um, you know, the first year I was there, I left my cell phone on the top of an ATM machine when I was out drunk, and when I went back the next morning, it was still there. That kind of you know low level petty stuff just doesn't happen. Mm. You can if you're in a cafe by yourself, you can go to the toilet, and leave your laptop and everything on the table, and it will still be there when you come back. Mm-hmm. You know probably shouldn't say this on a recorded thing I never never lock my car because <laughs> no one's going to come yeah, and yeah, yeah. with it um, but yeah this this thing happened with the PA we got this PA announcement that um, there'd been a, a robbery in one of the convenience stores in in the general area and um, somebody had been stabbed and, and the guy was fleeing potentially in our direction which was a bit yeah, a bit frightening because you're know, <laughs> really not expecting it, and really not expecting spaces in case anything. Yeah, well, it's because where we live as well, you know, there's those trees and things to hide in, but also the houses are all these sliding doors and cubby holes and crawl spaces, and you know, you, you could probably hide there quite uh, well. <laughs> One of my favourite uh, um, clashes of cultures happens at football match. Um, where you think that you're being that Scotland is being disrespected and it really it almost kicks off it does <laughs> yeah. explain about that that was, that was a really laughing loud I have to say that was a really weird experience so this was two, was it 2009 Scotland's played Japan twice in Yokohama and I always get the dates wrong I think it's mm. the second I think it's 2009 it's not when we win the Kieran Cup which is still our only trophy and we're exactly. bloody claiming it Everyone in Japan laughs at me because I'm like, no, no, we won that. It's a real trophy. If Pep Guardiola can have the, was it the Champions Shield or whatever? Yeah, 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 yeah. Charity Shield. Yeah, yeah, Charity Shield. Then we can have the Kieran Cup. But anyway, 2009, Scotland come to Yokohama to play a friendly with Japan, and my wife and I go, and and we go the full multicultural. I've got kilt and Scotland flags, but also Japan flags, and you know we're both sort of dressed half and half. I've got Nakamura Shinsuke's kit uh, Japan top on stuff like that um, but yeah we're sitting in the sitting in Japan with the Japan fans because we bought the tickets there and the Nissan Stadium is this insanely huge stadium mm-hmm. it's really bad for football it's, ki- <laughs> it's kind of like the uh, like how I imagine the London Stadium yeah. it's, you know, this huge track so you're so far from the action it was it was built for the World Cup in 2002 so there's like 50 Tartan Army away down the far end you can hardly even see them and um, the the national anthems pipe up, and I'm not particularly nationalistic. No. I didn't even stand up when it started. And I was like, "Oh, Flower of Scotland," bit of nostalgia. And then the guy just over my shoulder starts booing, <laughs> like probably boo. And I, I just feel this ire. Like, what? This is a friendly. Like our countries have no it. beef. This isn't like a Scotland England <laughs> game or a Japan South Korea game. Mm. So I, so I get pissed off and stand up and start belting out the words no one else around me obviously the Tartan army is the further end and um, at, at the end of it he's, uh, he's like oh good singing and I uh, don't reply well <laughs> I shouldn't say I just love it because <laughs> I can just imagine you're going to this seething do you say hmm. but you know not taking offence other than someone is being in your eyes offensive and yeah. then he's it Showing appreciation yeah. of my yeah, he was just arguing. No, I was, I was showing how much I love Japan. It's like that's not how you show <laughs> your patriotism isn't hating everybody else, that's not right. 
Um, throughout uh, the book, you, you kind of reference your own favourite books. You've got Zen mm. and uh, so Motorcycle Maintenance, which is a book I haven't read for ages. That's so good. Book. Yeah, and also Kerouac and things like that. And it made me think, have those writers, are they known in Japan? Are they, is Western literature, I guess, is what I'm asking. Isn't Western it? literature very much is. In the, in the early days of sort of Japanese modern literature, mm-hmm. they were heavily influenced by... Western writers, they'd study English literature right. at university. So you read somebody like um, Natsumi Soseki, they'll actively talk about kind of in the way if you've read any Murakami yeah. books, he will he will always have like one composer or jazz artist that he talks about quite a lot in the book. That's right. That's yeah. a that's a long-standing Japanese tradition in literature, but it used to be more about you know I'm writing this novel while I'm thinking about this author. Um, it happens a lot in Japanese crime fiction where you'll have a character in the crime novel who's a big Agatha Christie fan right. and will talk about oh I re- learned this thing in this Agatha Christie book that might be useful in this in solving this crime so yeah there's, there's certainly an influence there um, I don't know now how much I think Jap- Japanese literature now is well, not now, but Japanese literature is kind of so rich and so strong. Right. What we see in the West translated into English is like the tip of the iceberg. Very, very yeah. little actually translated. Far, there's so many good things that should be, and it's like our literature is. It's much more of a conversation with itself. Yeah. These writers influence each other, and you know, there's somebody like um, Furukawa Hideo writes a book that's influenced by Murakami Haruki, you know, he's grown up reading him. There's a lot right. of, of lot of that kind of thing going on. But saying that, I you know, my Japanese isn't good enough that I can really read these things well in, in the Japanese, so this is just again going um, on. Um I made me think about this book perhaps being translated into Japanese and mm. that might be I'd love to know what people thought about it. It could be fun, yeah. So somebody got in touch on Twitter. They translated it a paragraph or two, and that was kind of weird to see it. And I, I'd be very hesitant right. about a translation into Japanese because of the humor uh, and the right. way the humor works and the way because it's the way I've written about it is a very sort of as you said before, it's like a very Scottish poking fun in a loving way yeah. kind of thing so my ideal translator for it would be a Japanese person who's lived in Scotland right. for a very long time and gets that yeah. gets that side of things because it could so easily be sort of nasty humour it could look like nasty humour rather than playful I can totally banter. understand that because there are bits where people are um, a, using humour against you I guess and you think is that cruelty mm-hmm. like no it's not cruelty it's it's playfulness it's it's, it's fun it's it's yeah. including you actually in, yeah. in the guy yeah. but I could see how with the wrong translator or just the wrong interpretation it could fall into yeah. into something else yeah it would worry me it's yeah that's kind of kind of like other languages I don't know well enough so you know if somebody wants to translate it into Czech for example I'll be like okay I <laughs> I can't check it but I know enough Japanese that I could read something and, and be like oh that's not quite what I meant and yeah that would so another uh, surprising thing for me I, again just not knowing it not even thinking about it why would I 
was the wildlife of Japan. <laughs> you know, you think of Australia as having, uh, you know, things that can kill you around every corner. I've yeah. lived in Australia very, very briefly. Um, but it's similar to Japan. Yeah. You talk about the bee situation. Yeah, well, this was the thing. It's funny you mentioned Australia. Last, what, two weeks ago now, I did a reading in a bookshop in Sydney oh, yeah. of this because um, I was over there on business anyway so I set up this reading and I started reading that was one of the sections I picked to read is when, um, when I encounter a snake a mm. venomous snake in my garden for the first time which you know, in Scotland we have adders but A you don't find them in your garden yeah. and B they're not that yeah. scary um, you know these, these things these mamushi they'll, they will kill you know they'll certainly kill children and they'll, they'll do some serious damage and I started reading this out in Australia and I sort of looked up from the book and went Oh yeah, this is not in any way interesting to you. It's not fighting at all. Yeah, they're, they're just like a snake. <laughs> yeah. Is that it? It's that whole Mick Dundee thing. Call it yeah. a snake. This is a snake. Exactly. It was a, it was a whole room of that. <laughs> Luckily, they were nice. They just laughed at me. But yeah, um, coming from Scotland to Japan, yeah, there's snakes and there's centipedes, which are the worst. I absolutely can't stand them. And these ridiculously big bees they're called I can't remember what, what the Japanese word is but it translates as sparrow bee because they're kind of the size of a small sparrow and they're terrifying the way you described it it, it reminded me of like a 1950s supposed horror movie yeah. or creature feature where they've just photographed yeah. things bigger and that yeah. kind of stuff like that yeah, there's a, there's a video on YouTube of an absolute idiot letting himself be stung by one. It's one of these guys that he gets stung by everything to uh, compare them, and he lets himself get stung by one of these, and it's just a it's terrifying, but b it's just a nice piece of karmic nature yeah, of yeah, the guy going, you know, oh I wish I hadn't done that now. So, um, and similarly, a the food was 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 interesting because again it would be easy and i'm sure it's been done elsewhere where people would just go oh the food's so weird and they do that and all that you know like any food some of it you're gonna like some of it you're not gonna like but there's the whole um culture that surrounds it as well yeah. I, I mean you mentioned that at five o'clock it's like that's when you eat i think breakfast is the same it's like yeah there's a seven o'clock well it's the temple that goes off at yeah. seven, which is slightly nicer you know nice resonating bell but yeah i mean food culture is a, a huge thing in japan um the it's still very tied to the seasons which is, mm-hmm. is lovely you know your, your diet changes as the season changes and um yeah this one of the reasons i, I f- first fell in love with japan is it'd be the only place in the world where i went and they said what's haggis and i described it and they went that sounds really nice <laughs> and I was right. like, oh, I could, I could be a home here. Yeah, <laughs> I could fit in well here. But yeah, yeah, the food food culture is very, very important to them. Um, and like w- one of the things that I always find amusing, um, slightly infuriating, but also amusing, is that everywhere has to have its own sort of local speciality. Right. So in, in Nagoya, there's tebazaki, which is kind of spicy fried chicken or, or miso cats, like a miso sauce on pork um, pork cutlets on skewers and it's kind of got to the point where some some places are just making up ridiculous things and claiming they're there so I always make fun of people from Hiroshima because they have Hiroshima yaki which is okonomiyaki which is mm. one city's dish and yakisoba which is another city's dish on the same plate and they just dump one on top of the other and go this is Hiroshima yaki it's like that's 
just lazy. But um, when you get when you buy a Japanese guidebook, uh, when you're going traveling, so yeah, say we're going to Kagoshima on holiday, you buy the guidebook and you open up, and maybe ninety nine percent of the pages are about restaurants. Right. where to have lunch where to have breakfast where to have dinner what sweets to buy what snacks to buy and then maybe at the very last page there'll just be a, oh and there's a castle <laughs> <laughs> and that's it and that's why it gets infuriating for me because I'm like I'm not just travelling to eat yeah yeah I want, you know between meals I want to do I something want to things to do but yeah. it's also that thing of um, being important for family and get togethers yeah. and, and all that stuff which is kind of where you meet a lot of the, the neighbours and things as well yeah this, we have barbecues in my garden and I guess it's the same as that you know anywhere yeah. you go even if you don't speak the language you know everybody sits down to eat and the mm-hmm. alcohol comes out and, and we all start chatting and um yeah, we have barbecues in my garden. The neighbours come around. Um, I talk about New Year party in the book where uh, I pull out the punk IPA and my <laughs> uncle pulls out um, some not very nice meat, which I won't spoil the surprise in the book. But, uh, yeah. Um, so now that you've uh, written the book and you know, you're know you now... You're going to I write, isn't it? Is that what you're yeah, doing I write. I've got a few. In fact, the week we're recording this, I've got a bunch of stuff on. But yeah, the twelfth of March is the I write festival. Mm-hmm. Same time as Kathleen, Jamie, and James Robertson. Oh, so that'll well, be fun. Well, well, <laughs> I, I was so, so I was so looking forward to seeing them, and then I saw the time and was like, ah. Well, if you haven't managed to get a ticket either, of course, then <laughs> yeah. Ian's uh, going to be, and you just should do as well. Yeah. Um, so but how do you feel about the book now that it's kind of you're looking back on it um, and you're talking about it to me? It's very weird. It's very strange because up until now, all my experience has been with fiction. Mm-hmm. And fiction is just me talking about characters I've invented, situations I've invented, or ones that are real like Piper Alpha in yeah. my last book. But talking about... Yeah, just talk about things that that are, don't exist. One of the weird things about writing this book is that I couldn't obviously couldn't make anything up. So my fiction brain was firing all the time of going, "Oh, I could take this and this, and that would make a fantastic plot." And then I have to go, "Oh no, I can't do that, can I? Because because this is real." So talking about it is is a very different experience from anything I've had. It's you know, I'm just most of the time it's just telling anecdotes that I'd be telling down the pub. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, now yeah, it's yeah. structured and fixed and sealed. I can totally understand why Billy Connolly said, you know, he just published a book recently of kind of all his old yes. anecdotes. Yes. I can totally understand why he resisted it for so long because now those anecdotes are fixed in yeah. concrete and yeah. they're set. And um, I need to find all new anecdotes. Yeah, you're going to have Well, Matt goes on, would you do, you know, another year, uh, would you do something that depends, does it depend on the book? I'd definitely do something about, something more about Japan. I've got a few ideas about about travel books and and things like that. But as you said, this this book draws a lot on my, Mm. all my time in Japan. It's, you know, it's not just that one year. It kind of takes everything up to that to put it in context. Whereas the next book, I'd have much less material mm-hmm. to draw on um, I was thinking of it in terms of um, like a band that you've got your entire lifetime to do your first album you yes. record that you've got all the material all the and then the, the record company's like right 12 months from now second record get going you're like well hang on it's kind of that that sort of idea but yeah I've got, I've got some, some stuff on the go um, 
there's a long history of um, relations between Scotland and Japan mm-hmm. Scottish people going over there like Alan Spencer's book yeah. Pure Land about yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thomas Glover and that kind of thing so I'm kind of looking into that and, and researching yeah because I mean Alan Spencer was the writer who I thought about when I was thinking about people who've written about Japan David Simon did as well yeah a uh, beautiful yeah. book um, but not that many I could put them not I mean not in that sense no there's, as I said there's a lot of bad um, uh, one year in Japan memoirs and stuff but yeah there's and there's you get quite a lot of sort of haiku and, and poetry mm, yeah, and that sort yeah, of yeah. thing but in terms of yeah specifically Scottish writers exploring Japan there isn't there isn't a massive amount but there's a there's a huge history there would you ever consider travel writing? I would certainly, yeah. Because I think yeah. I think you know you've got that lovely eye for detail, but also the 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 kind of self reflection. I think is kind of perfect for a travel writer. Yeah, it would it would be it would be finding that new angle, the yeah. new way of doing it. Doing As you see, you're you can't so. just. It feels to me it's not like you could go for a month, discover a place. You almost have to yeah. embed yourself in country, which yeah. you have. Um, well, Ian, thanks so much for talking to us with this. Yeah. It's a terrific book. I really, really it. Thank you very it. much, Alan. Thank you. And um, we'll be back soon with someone completely different.